America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And you could say that looking at this great nation and our extraordinary history, even though there have been dark days in American history, we fought a brutal civil war for the sake of human freedom. Uh, we've had uh, many challenges that the country has faced. We have been incredibly fortunate, particularly when compared to uh, perhaps the most unlucky nation on the face of the earth. That would be Russia. And why is it that people who are Putin apologists uh, don't seem to recognize uh, any of the uh, direct and uh, uh, very powerful evidence about the Russian culture of death? That's the provocative question asked by Paul Kangor, uh, regular guest on this show. Uh, he is, of course, a uh, professor at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania. He is the principal of the Faith and Freedom Institute at Grove City College, and he is also an editor for American Spectator. Uh, Paul, congratulations on this very new and important piece on Russia's perpetual culture of death. Yeah, well, thanks, Michael. And it's kind of uh, sad that I that I have to write pieces like this. And and I would add, what's likewise sad, as as you mentioned, are the people who defend Putin. And and I knew before I wrote this piece that I would probably get lit up in the reader comments from uh, from these really strange group of Americans on our side, on the conservative side, who just seem to want to defend Vladimir Putin over and over and over again. It is really a shocking thing to see. And I'll tell you, the Russian people aren't doing that because they're watching their boys getting fed into a meat grinder right now by this man. Uh, the latest estimates are that possibly as high as 250,000 Russian casualties in the Ukraine. And as Putin looks to push more and more boys to the front lines through forced conscription, they're, they're fleeing the country. So, you know, they're not defending Putin over there, but we've got these weirdos in the United States that are defending him. So it's, um, it's, it's really quite sad to see. It, it is remarkable. And what do you think that is based on, by the way? Because it it does seem that people normally who would say they want to affirm American values, uh, there's a very dramatic contrast going all the way back in Russian history to the the first, quote, modern czar, Ivan the Terrible, Ivan Grozny. Uh, the, uh, the horrors of uh, Russian bloodletting and of a civil conflict and of oppressive regimes, one after another after another, this is about as far distant from America's experience as you could possibly get, isn't it? It is, and Ukraine's a good example of that, right? In fact, about 100 years ago, around uh, you know, 1923, Russia was in the process of incorporating countries like the Ukraine into what became the USSR. It was actually, USSR was actually started up about 1922. And then there was Holodomor, the Ukrainian famine in the 1930s. About 5 to 10 million people starved to death in Ukraine during that period. 
And also, I mean, I don't think there were more than maybe 30 million people who lived in the country at the time. So, I mean, that was just an enormous amount of death inflicted upon the Ukraine. And this article I did for the American Spectator, Russia's Perpetual Culture of Death, I start off by quoting a friend of mine named Jan Vinyetsky, who was a member of the Polish Solidarity Movement. And I heard him give a lecture at Grove City College probably about 20 years ago now, Michael. And he was just going through everything that his Polish people had endured from the Russians. And at the end of the talk, I asked him, Michael, I said, I, I, I said, Jan, do you, do you hate the Russians? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I just feel sympathy for the Russian people. You know, what they've been through, they lost more people than any other country in World War I. Then after that, they get the Russian Civil War, 1918 to 21, where they lose 7 million people dead in the Russian Civil War. The Bolsheviks win that. So then they get Bolshevism for 70 years. In between comes World War II. Russia loses 20 to 30 million people in World War II. I mean, we, what did we lose in World War II? Maybe three, 400,000? And everybody had an uncle who died in World War II in America? So it's just this incredible amount of death. And now here comes Putin. They get, they get post-Soviet Union, Michael, they get their first democratic transition from one democratically elected president to another, Boris Yeltsin to Vladimir Putin. Uh, Yeltsin serves two, ter two terms, steps down. Here comes old Putin. 2000, he's got two terms, right? And now he's in till 2023, probably 2030, 2036, basically as long as he lives. And uh, the Russian people just suffer, 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 suffer. So it's really sad to see. There's been, um, there are a few countries like it in history, other than maybe China. Um, but even then, I, I'd say it's hard to pick a country that has suffered more, people that have suffered more than the Russian people. I, of course, this rings very close to home for me because you right. mentioned the 7 million people who died during the Russian Civil War right after yeah. the revolution. Uh, that included my father's, my father's five sisters. Uh, and oh, wow. uh, Because my wow. father, thank God, was born in the United States after his parents reunited. But my grandmother and her six children, one of whom survived, uh, were stuck in Russia and, uh, and in the Ukraine, actually, at the time. And uh, again, the history of this, there's a, a period of time in Russia known as the Time of Troubles, where basically mm -hmm. everybody was fighting against everybody else. And you had this massive die-off. And we're, we're talking now uh, in, quote, the pre-Russian Empire period. Uh, what mm -hmm. is it that that you believe uh, has been so characteristic? Because there are various theories about why Russia has suffered so much. Uh, do yeah, you hold yeah. by any of them? It's a really good question. I mean, it must require some sort of psychological explanation, maybe cultural. Um, you know, our, our friend, the late great Richard Pipes, who um, who, by the way, was. Uh, his, his father, his Jewish father, um, got Richard and, and his family out of Poland right before September 1st, 1939, when the Nazis invaded. And then two and a half weeks later, September 17th, 1939, the Soviets invaded Poland from the east. And, and Pipes credits his father with, uh, with, 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 with saving his life. 
But Pipes had said that he thinks that this is sort of part of the Russian culture, that this is a people that, that are just sort of doomed to this culture of czars. And another guy that you and I both admired, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, accused our good friend Richard Pipes of racism <laughs> for that. And I, I talked to Pipes about it. Pipes said, oh, yeah, yes, Solzhenitsyn, very angry with me <laughs> about this. And I, and I said, well, do you, do you buy some of that, that you're making a kind of a racist argument, a stereotype of the Russian people? He said, I don't want to stereotype anybody, but what, 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 what do I say? The Russian people are doomed to this history. But these authoritarian leaders, they seem to like authoritarians. And I said, yeah, I know, I can't, I can't argue with that. So it, it, they, they've just had this long history of it. It's, well, one, it's of, one of the arguments, one of the arguments that people put forward is it's because the area of Russia is so vast. It is by far geographically the largest land area of any country in the world, even with the reduction of the independence for some of the former Soviet socialist republics. But with uh, a, an area that vast, uh, that uh, that tends to lend itself to authoritarian rule and uh, uh, not rule where people control their own destiny, but they're controlled from a distance. Speaking of controlled from a distance, uh, what about cutting off people from speech? Because their speech isn't uh, a pro-trans enough. Uh, we'll get to that issue and more coming up with Paul Kangor. Michael Medved. He has control over this world. This is the Michael Medved Show. Your daily dose of debate. Give me more. The Michael Medved Show. And one of the things that I can understand, I think any American should be able to understand, is love for the Russian people and some of the cultural richness of what Russia has produced and and uh, some of the fascinating, yes, very depressing, but fascinating history. But what does that mean about the Russian government? Uh, Paul Kangor, professor at uh, Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania, uh, where I just had the honor of speaking uh, long distance uh, in their forum about uh, the future of human life and the cause of human life after the uh, uh, end of Roe v. Wade. Uh, but Paul Kangor writes in uh, his column in American Spectator, Putin's invasion of Ukraine has worsened his nation's long demographic winter. Not only have over 250,000 healthy young Russian men died, been wounded or gone missing and sacrificed to Putin's bloodlust for Ukraine, but many more are bolting from the country to avoid his forced conscription. Uh, how grim is the situation in Russia? Yeah, it's really bad, Michael. I've watched this for a long time. I, I remember WHO, World Health Organization, numbers from the early 2000s projecting that, that Russia would go from about 150 million people down to about 104 million by the year 2050. And, and the, the, the numbers are not good. In fact, one of the reasons why Putin put restrictions on abortion, which is a great thing that he did, was uh, the, the population hemorrhage in the country. He's actually started having national fertility days in the country. You know, make love, not war, right? 
uh, he, he started uh, cracking down on foreign adoptions. He wants to keep Russian children in Russia. And there's a new study out by Nicholas Everstadt, the, the demographer in his group. They are saying right now that if Russia wants to maintain its current population, they're going to have to average about 1.1 million immigrants per year over the next 80 years. And there is no way that that's happening <laughs> because the exodus right now, it is an exodus out of Russia. People are not going in. And not only are young men leaving, and that's bad because it's young men, but young men pair up with young women to, to reproduce and give birth to the next generation. So, so what Putin's doing here with this war in the Ukraine is an absolute demographic time bomb for his country. Well, and there's very few people I know of, uh, including even some of the Putin enthusiasts here in the United States, who want to actually vote with their feet and emigrate to Russia. There are very right, few right. expats who would decide to live in Russia. Okay, here, yeah. in the, here in the United States, you have another piece that was in the Pittsburgh Tribune, and it's a very important piece. It's about cancel culture descending on Pitt, uh, your alma mater, University of Pittsburgh, uh, they have, um, uh, there was an attempt, and it was even in the state legislature in Pennsylvania, to uh, block three speakers that they were having in Pitt because they weren't sufficiently in favor of uh, the, quote, rights of trans people. Uh, Paul, That's what's right. the best way to explain to people that trying to protect women's sports and women's participation in sports does not represent some kind of hate crime against trans people. And that's exactly what they were accused of, including by their representative, Latasha Mays. And she even said that about Riley Gaines, who was the first of the three speakers that, that were brought in. And Riley Gaines is the swimmer who had a swim against Leah Thomas. And Leah Thomas is a big biological male who's about 6'3", 220, and there's just no way. I mean, I had kids that swam, a, a daughter who swam, a son who swam, and you know, someone like Riley Gaines swimming against somebody like that, it's just an impossible situation. And also, Riley Gaines said, she, put, she, she said, and there's also something really awful about being in the, in the, in the locker room, getting undressed, and having this male stare at you and watch you while you're getting undressed, knowing that there is no coach to back you up. The NCAA is not going to back you up. No teammates are going to. Everybody's afraid to say anything because they'll be gaslighted, canceled on social media. Women won't even stand up for women. She said, I had enough of it. And Representative Mays says, well, by golly, that's hate speech. That is hate speech against trans people. And, 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 and of course, it's not. That's complete nonsense. And the second event, which actually I'm happy to say, and I watched it a couple of days ago, took place, um, I, think, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, was Michael Knowles of the Daily Wire. And, Michael, he was debating. It was a debate with Deirdre McCloskey, who's a, who's a transgender male. And it, 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 the cancelers wanted to cancel a debate. And they actually had a guy on their side, on the trans side, that was willing to debate Michael Knowles and they wanted to cancel it. So, so much for dialogue and debate. And in the end, Deirdre McCloskey pulled out under pressure from all these other people. They got a guy named Brad Palumbo 
who is a gay libertarian, to come in and debate Michael Knowles. And I got to tell you, I watched the whole thing. It was a good debate. If, if the counselors would have actually sat down and watched it, they might have learned something and might have been able to better some of their arguments had they sat and listened to it. But these people are just um, free speech thugs. They don't believe in it at all. And, and, and again, the phrase that is used again and again and again is blocking trans people from participating in sports. That's not the idea. It's blocking non-women from participating in women's sports. Uh, it, shouldn't there be some way to work this out so that everybody can participate who wants to in the appropriate context? Well, there should be. But, you know, when you have organs like the New York Times, I have this one posted on my bulletin board outside my office door saying, um, you know, trans boys are just what they say they are, boys. Well, then they say, well, okay, great. So, you know, we get to compete against whoever, trans boys who are girls, right? So what the left has said here with these standards and definitions is finally coming back to bite them. And, um, you know, that's that's where we are. Uh, And uh, where we are here on the Michael Medved Show is with Professor Paul Kangor. Uh, The two pieces we've talked about, one about the Russian culture of death and one uh, about the the idea of cancel culture descending on the University of Pittsburgh and the issue of uh, women's sports for women only. Uh, That uh, is posted at our website at michaelmedved.com. Paul, have a wonderful weekend, and congratulations on another great and successful conference, and I was glad to be there long distance in any event. Uh, We will be right back on The Medved Show. There are four big movies, one of which is pretty good and memorable, which we'll be reviewing on The Medved Show. Michael, you have the greatest show on the planet. The Michael Medved Show. And one of the questions facing this show and facing this country is when President Biden announces, as expected, uh, prepares a video announcing his campaign for re-election, will it include at any point Kamala Harris? Or will, as people have begun speculating, will he leave that uh, idea of a more effective running mate? And it would hard to be uh, imagining a less effective running mate. Uh, would he keep open that idea of a more effective running mate coming in as some kind of replacement for Vice President Harris? Uh, she, meanwhile, uh, showed her philosophical depth Uh, when she agreed to be interviewed by a child on TV who uh, wanted uh, some advice that uh, Vice President Harris would convey to kids. And the profound advice that she shared sounded like this. This is clip 14. What advice do you have to the kids that want to grow up and be president or vice president? Follow your passion because... All said and done, if you are fortunate enough, you're going to work very hard. And when you do the work that you enjoy doing, you do it well and all the other things come. 
follow your passion? Uh-huh. What's interesting is uh, rock star Greg Tomlin found uh, some comments by Professor Scott Galloway, who has a best-selling book that's out there right now. He uh, recently said this about that advice, follow your passion. How does it work? Here's Professor Galloway, clip 15. The worst advice you will ever hear in this chair, some of the worst advice given to young people, follow your passion. What utter bullshit. If someone tells you to follow your passion, it means they're already rich. And typically the guy on stage telling you to follow your passion made his billions in iron ore smelting. This is your job. Your job is to find something you're good at and then spend the thousands of hours and apply the grit and the perseverance and the sacrifice and the willingness to break through hard things to become great at it. Because once you're great at something, the economic accoutrements of being great at something, the prestige, the relevance, the camaraderie, the self-worth of being great will make you passionate about whatever it is. No one grows up thinking, I'm passionate about tax law. But the best tax lawyers in this nation fly private and have a much broader selection of mates than they deserve. <laughs> then they get to do interesting things, which, by the way, makes them passionate about tax law. Do your passions on weekend. Be a DJ. Jay-Z followed his passion and is a billionaire. Again, assume you are not Jay-Z. Uh, I think that's probably a safe uh, assumption. Uh, there's also this comment uh, on the same subject from Mike Rowe, who was the former host of Dirty Jobs. He also spoke at length about the terrible impact of the dumb platitude Follow your passion as the uh, path to success. Listen. Regarding passion, you know, and when people ask me what I learned from Dirty Jobs, the short answers are many, and one of them is uh, a kind of debunking of platitudes and cliches, typically those successories that you see hanging in office buildings like this that say things like, you know, follow your passion. Mm -hmm. and there's a picture of a rainbow and some <laughs> and butterflies or, or some stuff. Yeah. Um, I joked about that back in 2004 with a pig farmer on, uh, on Dirty Jobs. And, and he said, listen, the thing about passion is um, you got to have it, but only a moron would follow it. Bring your passion with you in all things, but never ever follow it. So when I think of the plumbers I've worked with on the show, all of whom were very successful, they all say the same thing. It wasn't their life's dream to be a plumber. You know, they didn't wake up in the mornings as a kid going, man, I just can't wait to get back into the sewer. Yeah. What they did, they got to the point in their life where it was time to make money, and they looked around at where everybody else was going, and they just went the other way. And so a lot of these guys on the show wound up doing something that was in no way a reflection of their, uh, their wish fulfillment. But first they identified the opportunity, then they got good at it, yeah. and then they figured out a way to love it. Okay, this is actually very, very important. I mean, it's one of those things that uh, when you look at messages that are given to young people, the idea of follow your heart, do what you want to do, sometimes you have to do the damn homework, and it can be boring, and you may not like 
basically a reading assignment. You may not have a passion for actually mastering the little bit of mathematics to which you may be exposed, but you have to do it. And one of the, the things that I've written about before uh, in, in several contexts is that very often people are faced with a philosophical choice between follow your heart, do what you feel like, or do your duty. And one of the great advantages of religious faith, we're going to be uh, speaking uh, next week about the state of religious faith in America, which has some good news about it and some not so good news about it. But part of what religious faith teaches is that uh, doing your duty, uh, basically showing a certain amount of self-discipline is the most important way to go for success and for satisfaction. Uh, Julie Sue, who is President Biden's nominee to be the next Secretary of Labor, faced some tough Republican scrutiny during a hearing uh, yesterday. Uh, Senator Romney pressed her about fraudulent unemployment insurance benefits that were authorized uh, during her tenure over seeing those benefits in California. Listen. The fact that under your lead, unemployment insurance payments in California of some $31 billion went to people who were basically receiving money on a criminal basis, illegally receiving money from the federal government, $31 billion. That's about as much as we provided in military aid to Ukraine. That's almost twice the total budget of the Department of Labor. Under your leadership in California, $31 billion was fraudulently paid out. Now, now there's a principle in, in all sorts of enterprises known as the Peter Principle, which is people get promoted to a point where their competence is no longer uh, been established. In this case, your record there is so severely lacking. I don't know how in the world it makes sense for the president to nominate you to take over this department, to, to work behind um, Marty Walsh is one thing and to learn from him, but you haven't had experience negotiating a, a major deal between unions and, and management. Uh, and your leadership of an enterprise resulted in $31 billion of fraudulent payments. Okay, and her response? The vast majority, over 95% of the fraud in the unemployment system, not just in California, but across the nation, was in the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, a program that was passed by Congress to meet a very, very urgent need, an unprecedented crisis that was viewed to require an unprecedented solution. That pandemic unemployment assistance program did not have the safeguards that regular unemployment insurance does. It, it has set those safeguards. There are guidelines in California you chose to waive to get that money out. $31 billion. Uh, as Senator Romney, I think, is probably going to be a no on her confirmation. Uh, let us confirm four new movies uh, quickly. And uh, one of them, uh, a movie that you may remember after you see it. We will get to that coming up on the Medved Show. For special discounts on history shows, check out medvedhistorystore.com.
hoping wherever you are that the uh, weekend brings you some sunshine and some joy. And uh, even if it's raining outside, it's possible to get some joy from some of the movies that are on offer across the country. Uh, the fanfare from Hollywood, please. A movie with considerable fanfare is called Chevalier. And it's a film about a historical figure you may never have heard of. His name was Joseph Bologna, uh, the Chevalier uh, de Georges. He was a French composer uh, right before the French Revolution who was the son of a planter in the island of Guadalupe and the enslaved woman who the planter owned. He was probably the first significant uh, internationally recognized a black composer back there in the 1780s. And uh, he's played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. in a spectacular-looking, gorgeously mounted, and fascinating new film. Listen. One day, the whole world will know me. And of course, the music will be spectacular. Bold. I'm putting on a concert. Let us fund the revolution. Any other country, man of your color, would not be wearing such fine clothes. You don't belong here. You're a party trick. You're a pet. Playing the violin, that is all. You know I am the best. You are playing a dangerous game, friend. You forget your place, boy. Okay, the real Josef uh, Bologna was not only a famous musician, He's also a military leader, though you don't see much of that, in the revolution, for the French Revolution. He was also one of the most famous swordsmen in France. Uh, the film is handsome. It features a, a fine performance by Kelvin Harrison Jr. as a main character and a spectacular supporting performance by Samara Weaving as the beautiful married woman who... Uh, has a very dangerous liaison involved with the Chevalier. It is a PG-13, probably should be because of some violence and some sexual content over to our three stars for Chevalier. Another film that is uh, available through National Geographic uh, in theaters everywhere is called Wildlife, and it's about two environmentalists who are married Chris and Doug Tompkins, uh, they had made uh, literally millions with Patagonia and with Esprit, uh, outdoor equipment. And then they devoted that money to trying to acquire a series of amazing national parks in Chile and Argentina. Uh, the film, Wildlife. This audacious vision of Doug's, that was like a life raft for me. We need to finish up these parks. It's now or never. She became more and more fierce. I asked myself, how can I come this far without you? But then I remembered, you've been here all along. Doug would be so happy. They define an entire way of life. Look at this incredible wildness as far as you can see. This is a gorgeous film, and uh, it is uh, full of spectacular vistas, some you see from on foot, some you see from helicopter or planes. It's also a love story, uh, and a very unlikely love story with some real pain in it between two people who share this passion to create 
these dozen new national parks involving millions of acres and introducing some endangered species, reintroducing them to this land. Uh, the film is impossible not to feel impressed and connected to. It is uh, three stars, rated PG-13, playing in theaters. Paint is a uh, different sort of film. It's a, a modest little movie starring Owen Wilson as a curly, bushy-headed uh, painter who has a show on PBS. Sound familiar? You may remember the painter Ross, who was on PBS for years. But uh, this is a painter who suddenly has competition where he is a star on public TV in Vermont. Listen. I want to help you get what's in here and just splash it onto there. It's not rocket science. It's harder. Don't let fame bring out the worst in you. A real man never looks back. What's the image tucked away in your brain that makes your heart ache? Carl is one-dimensional and very sexist. How's everything going? Awesome. Okay, this is uh, like you would think from Owen Wilson's delivery. It is uh, an understated film. It has its elements of weirdness and insanity and egotism. Uh, but it's also touching and uh, funny, and uh, funny in a very dry and droll way. Uh, Owen Wilson is outstanding. He uh, suddenly has a, uh, a rival for being a, a public television painter who uh, is more female and younger and more exciting than he is. But the film develops in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh, it is uh, uh, not one of those richly satisfying films, and it's not laugh out loud, but it is amusing and engaging a PG-13 for some sexual references. Uh, no, this painter is not celibate. Uh, two and a half stars for paint. Murder Mystery 2. Uh, we reviewed before Murder Mystery 1, which came out four years ago. This is Adam Sandler uh, and Jennifer Aniston. They play a New York couple who uh, he is a uh, sort of failed police officer in New York, but then they get in the first film a, uh, uh, a job as detectives trying to uncover a murder that they stumble into. In Murder Mystery 2, they are invited to a wedding of a Maharaja they had met in the first film, but he disappears. He is kidnapped, and they have to get him back safely in India and in Paris in Murder Mystery 2. The Maharaja's been kidnapped. And all of you are suspects. We're not going to be invited anywhere ever again. The real detectives have arrived. You must be the Spitzes. Yes. yes. Your reputations precede you. There you go. Not in a positive way, I'm afraid. Okay. Okay. Deliver $50 million to the Arc de Triomphe in Paris when the Maharaja dies. Well, he always wanted to go to Paris. Okay, uh, this is a much better film than the first one. The uh, plot is a, a little bit more sensible and unexpected. The actual characters are more vivid, 
And the relationship between uh, the Adam Sandler character and the Jennifer Aniston character is uh, more realized. You can actually feel something and feel some chemistry between them. Uh, after such a disappointing first film, I'm actually glad they made the second one, which is uh, funny. It's uh, rated PG-13, despite a great many car chases and some uh, uh, fairly uh, brutal, high-level Eiffel Tower kinds of adventures. Uh, two and a half stars. This is uh, streaming now on Netflix. It's rated PG-13 Murder Mystery 2. Uh, coming up next time on The Medved Show, uh, there is a new book about the obsession with sport by uh, a number of leading politicians. And in fact, some of the most popular and influential American presidents it's written by uh, Chris Saliza, who will be joining us to talk about the importance of sport in White House history. Also, don't want a baby because of climate fears? Uh, you're not alone. So what is the right answer to give to people who experience those fears? And there's a piece from American Enterprise Institute, which is fascinating, with Americans marrying ever later and loneliness on the rise, we should worry, they argue at AEI, about how excessive desire may not lead the young into folly, but worry more about how excessive caution sometimes relegates young people to the couch with only their screens as company. And uh, we will, of course, bring you the uh, latest on uh, the decision about the abortion pills, which should be coming out sometime before midnight tonight, uh, and uh, the ongoing controversies that will shape the presidential election that we're in the midst of experiencing. Uh, because next week, we're supposed to get an announcement of candidacy by the oldest serious candidate ever. That would be uh, Joe Biden. Uh, we will get to that and to much more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.